So as we start our, our message this morning, um, it's a sermon I've titled Lasting Lessons for Living as Sent Ones. And it's the continuation of our series in the book of John. Uh, we're seeing the end from here. Uh, we're in the last chapter, chapter 21. And I'll just start off by saying this. Have you ever received an assignment that on the surface you thought, yeah, I'll do that. And as you walk away, you asked yourself, how am I going to do that? Um, I'm not really clear on what I need to do here. I think this is exactly where we find the disciples this morning. They had heard from Jesus when he appeared to them in the upper room a message that said, as the Father had sent me, I also send you. They were being sent on a mission. And I think they don't have a clue how to do that. I don't think they're against doing that, but I don't think they have a clue. And it's not because Jesus hasn't told them many of the things they really needed to learn. But this chapter, I think, is an a object lesson using a miracle that Jesus illustrates what it is being a sent one, fishing for the souls of men, really is going to be about. Because we have been sent, just like he came, to rescue the sinners from this world. That's our job. So, I'm going to be going quickly through five lessons that I think Jesus was reinforcing with his disciples about living as a sent one. How is that to be done? They knew what they were supposed to do. Go and to serve and be sent like he was sent. Now they have to hear, well, how is that supposed to happen? Let's dive in and read the passage. And this will be the best part of the message is God's word. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, well, we'll come with you. They went out and they got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when Jesus, when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his honor garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but dra about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish played, placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew a net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. 
Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You see, Jesus was using the things that were happening here to teach them a lesson. And a sign is simply a miracle with a message. And so John is recording this sign for us so that we would get Jesus' message, what he's trying to share. And I would just say, let's just jump into the lessons because he wants us to be fruitful in our service. And this is a lesson that we need to know as being his sent ones for producing fruit. So lasting lesson number one is godly results are not the result of human effort. In verses one to five, let's just start. It says, after these things, it meant an unspecified amount of time, after that Jesus had manifested himself to Mary and to the disciples, and before his ascension, this event takes place. We're not really sure when, but it did take place between that time. He appeared, he appeared to the disciples. He said he manifested himself. This is more than just appearing. Manifesting really implies with it, it's a revealing. It's a sharing and displaying of his glory. This is not just, I'm here. That's not a manifestation. A manifestation has importance and purpose. He wanted to reveal himself. They had seen him, but they didn't know who he was. He needed to reveal himself. In fact, we'll learn in life that only people that can find God are those that he reveals himself to. If he, try to find God if he wants to hide. It's not possible. So Jesus manifested himself and it said on the Sea of Tiberias. That's not to confuse us. This is the same as the Sea of Galilee. It was renamed during the time of uh, Tiberius Caesar in honor of that Roman emperor, uh, but it's still the Sea of Galilee. And we'll remember that the Sea of Galilee is home base to Peter and Andrew and James and John. In fact, they had a fishing business on this sea. They knew it well. In fact, this is where Jesus first encountered them and he had given them the commission of saying, I want to take you from fishing to be fishers of men. They're back home. But why would they be in Galilee? Well, they're in Galilee in response to Jesus' instructions. According to uh, Matthew 28.10, he told them, hey, I want you to go back to Galilee and I'll meet you there. Now, we don't need to know, I mean, I could go into all the reasons the people are listed here, but we, we read in Matthew 28.16 that all 11 disciples went to where Jesus told them. In this passage, we're only told of seven so obviously they're in a different place than the other four. And we don't need to really go through. Names is not really the critical message here. But we do need to notice something. Peter's name is mentioned first. And he still was considered by the disciples and many of them as the leader of that group. And his name is Simon Peter. John uses the name Simon Peter. Simon Peter, Simon was his name before Jesus renamed him Peter. And so when John invokes the name Simon Peter. He's kind of inferring that Simon 
is not acting like Peter anymore. He's acting like Simon. He's acting like his fleshly self, his former self before he was changed by his Savior Jesus. He's now back to his old life. So Simon Peter is who John says was there. And what did he say? He said, I'm going fishing. Now, was that what Jesus told him to do? According to Matthew 28, 16, we read, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Well, the Sea of Galilee doesn't sound like a mountain. And it's difficult to fish on a mountain. So, obviously, Peter decided, I've had it with waiting. I don't know where this Jesus is. He's not showing up. And if there's something I really know how to do, it's fish. So I'm out of here. I'm fishing. Well, whatever happened when you don't wait for God? Have you ever not waited for God? You know, I really want a a partner in life, but he doesn't seem to be bringing the right one, so I'll just grab one. How did that work out? Well, we know in the Bible that there's several examples of people who didn't wait for God. Aaron didn't wait for Moses to come off the mountain, and he ended up throwing gold in the fire, and a calf leaped out. Right? Well, that's not really what happened, but that's what he said happened. Um, How about Abraham and Sarah? They were supposed to wait for the promised child, but instead they had Ishmael. How did that work out for them? How did that work out for us today? Did it ever work out well for you when you didn't wait for God? Well, it's not going to work out too well for Peter either. So we find, though, that Peter had a, actually a damaging effect. Think of this. You have 11 disciples waiting on a mountain. Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And he had enough clout, enough influence, enough leadership that he took six of them with him to go the wrong direction. Leadership is a good thing if it's going the right direction. Leadership is a dangerous thing if it takes you the wrong direction. We, applicationally, need to understand right now, you and I, be careful who you follow. Be careful who you hang out with. The scripture says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you hang out with people, you'll become like them. You have to understand you will never be in neutral. You will go one way or the other and you'll go the direction that people around you are going and influencing you. So be careful who your pastors are, who your leaders are, who your teachers are, who you listen to on podcasts. I don't care what it is. Wherever they're leading you, if it's not closer to God, it's wrong. If they're leading you away from God, that is wrong. You need leaders that will lead you towards God. Leadership is not always good. And Peter exhibited bad leadership. He took six people away from where Jesus said to be. And how did that turn out? Well, it says these talented fishermen that Peter knew he had a fish, they ended up with zero. They caught nothing. Skunked. I don't know if you've ever tried anything and come out skunked. But why was the net empty? Was the net empty because they just threw it in the wrong place? No. 
Jesus was teaching a lesson here and divinely the sovereign Lord of not only the universe but of the Sea of Galilee and the fish in it says fish scatter do not get anywhere close to these guys you're not going in that net I need to teach them a lesson because they're relying on their own self their self-sufficiency their wisdom their plan their objective they think they can accomplish it on their own do you ever think that? That you can, your plan looks better than God's? Well, it looks like it's going to get you to the destination you want to go to faster. Be careful. Be careful. Anyway, Peter ended up empty with all the rest of the fishermen. See, he had taught them this lesson before, though. In John 15, turn there with me. John 15, verses 4 and 5. He was trying to tell them Getting results is my business, and you better understand the, the secret to this. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can only do a little bit. Is that what your Bible says? How much can you do? Zero, nada, zip. What did these disciples experience? Zero, nada, zip. They were apart from Christ. They left where he said to be. They were not in his will. They were going to do their own thing with their own skills, their own abilities, and got zero. Jesus was teaching them an object lesson here. He was telling us any service for God, any work that's going to produce eternal fruit, if we do not remain, rely on, abide in, hang with, follow Jesus, it will never happen. We'll get zero. You get it? Zero fruit. This church will produce zero fruit unless we abide in Jesus. Unless you abide in Jesus. Your life will produce zero fruit. But it's interesting, not being able to do anything, Jesus did not mean saved people can't brush their teeth without me, without abiding. That's not a point. You can't drive your car without abiding. Sure you can. But he's pointing out that even if you are a saved person, even if the spirit of the living God is in you and he has transformed you, if you do not abide in me, if you do not remain in me and rely on me and do things my way, you will produce zero do you want to produce zero this is the formula run your own way do your own thing you'll get zero but if you do it God's way he said you will have much fruit well it says then that Jesus was on the shore and the disciples didn't know it was him he was a hundred yards away but I don't know you can generally tell who it is at the other end of a football field can't you but we don't know why but clearly Jesus had not revealed himself to the disciples but this voice comes off from the shore to these men and says to them children not manly men fishermen disciples children you're acting like children out here I can't address you as followers and disciples you're children lads you do not have any fish, do you? 
I'm not shocked, are you? You went your own way and you expected to find something. Interesting. Do we do that? Yes, we do. What's happening here is these guys are not following Christ's command. And they produced zero. And Jesus is pointing out with the example of the empty net that this is going to represent you even as you fish as a sent one for men. If you do not rely on me, abide in me, rest in me, depend on me as you fish and you cast the net for fish, these fish that I'm sending you in the souls of men, you will have zero. This church, Valley Bible Church, needs to remain and abide in Jesus or this church in this community will produce zero. Not a little bit, nothing. Well, let's jump to the second point. We must follow divine wisdom and not human reasoning. See, Jesus is going to reinforce a second lesson with these men. And that is they must do what he says and follow his directions. They were not free to just wing life. I'm going to do ministry some here, some way. I'll just do it. This is the way it's going to happen. Right here. This is ministry. And so he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. Now, can you imagine being one of those fishermen, one of those professionals that's worked all night long, they know the lake well, and this guy that's 100 yards away on the shore, not even over the water, yells out the command, oh, the other side of the boat, move the net six feet this direction, and that'll solve your problems. He's crazy. Why would that make a difference? I've been all over this lake. I might have even had the net in the exact same position 20 minutes ago because we've been drifting and it was on the left side and it would kind of drift to where the right side was. This is not making sense to them. But they did it. Why did they do it? Because it was a command of the Lord. You know when Jesus said, let there be light, the light didn't argue. When Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't say, "Uh uh-uh. He came forth. Why? There's power in the command of our Lord Jesus. He's sovereign. And he tells them. He didn't say, could you guys consider throwing the net on the other side? Because I know you really want to catch some fish. No, he commanded them from the shore. Cast the net on the right side. It was a command. And they went. I mean, you would expect these fishermen to tell him, hey, you stick to whatever you do. We'll do the fishing. But no, no. They complied immediately. They complied immediately. So this is interesting. So is that true for us today? Do we really need to do it God's way? I mean, when, this, when his way doesn't make a lot of sense? I mean, do you think that this Bible, this book, makes a lot of sense to our culture? If that's what we're waiting for, is them to agree with what we want to do, we're going to have a long wait. What is he saying? In our lives, in this church's life, if we do not follow this book in what we do, we will produce nothing. In fact, Dr. Stephen Lawson said it this way. No church, no group of elders, no teachers, no pastors are free to reinvent church. 
We must do it God's way, and the blueprint is right here. Right? We, you see, what we find here is that for Valley and all of its ministries and all of its people, we need to do what it says, follow its precepts, obey its commands, its principles. It says if you do, that's fishing on the right-hand side of the boat. Now, what happens if every other church in your area is fishing on the left-hand side? And they seem to be growing. They've got lots of people. Um, what does that mean? Well, I see in many lives, in many churches, they think that uh, success is bigger crowds. They think it's bigger programs. More fog machines. More lights. Better bands. Less talk about these troublesome things like sin, repentance, the cross, blood, hell. For heaven's sake, don't bring those up. The culture doesn't like it. We must do what the Bible says. It, we don't have a choice. If you want to have zero fruit, zero things in your net, just do it your own way. We cannot be like every other person who thinks that this is life the way it should be lived or any other church. We need to follow Jesus' instructions and the Bible. That is our only guideline, not the culture. Because we must shun the temptation to be like everybody else and fit in. That they have the secret to church growth. No. God is the secret of church growth. Christ is the builder of his church. And we need to trust him because proclaiming its truth, we need to stay true to this book without apology. Without apology. I'm sorry they might be offended, but I'm not sorry for the book. We need to proclaim its truth, obey its commands, share God's love as we proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world. Doing things God's way results in abundant fruit. Is that what you want? It's what I want. I think that's what he wants for his church. This is what we need to do. Lesson three. Results are a work of divine sovereignty. Jesus wants them to learn a third lesson now. And it's one that should give us great peace and great relief. The results. He's not going to evaluate them on the results. He's evaluating them on their faithfulness to follow his command. He's responsible for the results. Let's look at that. So they cast their nets and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. I'm, I'm still surprised the disciples did this, but I can't deny the power of a command of God. But when they did this and the fish showed up, it says that instantly their net was full. Now, do you think that just happened? The, you know, he, the, Jesus happened to know that a school of fish was getting close on the other side, so he said, try the other side. I think you might have more luck. That wasn't to happen. He commanded as the sovereign Lord of this universe, of the Sea of Galilee, 153 fish to swim into the net. Now, do it. And why, why do we think that 153 is right? Jesus does not do random. He, if he commanded 153 fish in there, I guarantee 153 fish showed up. 
And he knew how many needed to be there. See, Jesus, being our sovereign Lord, does numbers. You know, I know some churches don't like to count. Baptists seem to like to count. I don't know. But we don't like to count much. But he has numbers throughout this book. 3,000 were saved at Pentecost. 5,000 were fed. He, he knows the numbers. In fact, he says, do you know what history is waiting on right now? There is going to be a time that God right now through the ages has been building the bride of Christ in the church. And when that number is reached that he's already preordained, instantly the rapture will occur. Do you think he's counting? I do. Because it's an ordained number. We're not shooting for, I hope that's enough, Lord. I hope enough have been saved. No, there is an exact amount. And just like this, an exact amount showed up in this net. And he's telling them, look guys, it wasn't because you flipped the net out so effectively. You spun it just right. Um, You uh, had the right uh, smell on the net so the fish were attracted. You had great skill in your ability to get that net there. He's not praising any of their personal skills. He's saying, if you'll just throw the net, just do the job, I will drive all the men that need to know the gospel into that net. I will make sure that they are in the net of the gospel. Your fishing for men will happen, not because of your skill, not because of your ability, not because of your talent, not because of your eloquence, not because you know all the answers, but because I am divinely sovereign. And I'm telling you, they're going to go in the net. You present the gospel, they go in the net. Why? Because Jesus already knows who's going to go in the net. He's ordained it. He's going to ordain them to enter the net as you proclaim the gospel. See, as Jesus performed this miracle, John was on the boat, and he goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've seen this one before. Uh, Luke 5 records it. I was in a boat before. This guy comes out, told us to put the net on the other side. It was Jesus. It's the Lord. And he tells Peter, hey, it's the Lord. This isn't some yokel giving us advice from the shore. It's the Lord. And what does Peter do? Peter says he got dressed. I'm sure he was just, he wasn't naked on the boat. He was just probably dripped down so he didn't sweat so much in his clothes. And he put on his robe and it says that he eloquently dove no, it says he threw himself into the sea. Listen, I couldn't get to Jesus fast enough. I don't care if it's eloquent. We, we, we knocked Peter a lot. And he was pretty rambunctious for sure. But when he knew it was Jesus, he could hardly wait to get to be with him. That's what I want to be. Did he, what was his concern for the nets? What about all that money and the fish that they should have had? What about his friends on the boat? We can't worry about everybody else. When you respond to the gospel, you're not going to respond with the eyeball on, well, what am I going to lose? What about my possessions? What about my friends? No, your eye has to be on Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the pearl of great price. Peter knew that. Well, Jesus used the miracle to demonstrate the power, the incredible power of his saving grace. Everyone that God will save by grace, he will sovereignly get into the net of the gospel. All our job is to do is not rely on ourselves, but abide in him, trust in him, and cast the net. 
God will take care of the results. Shouldn't that make us calm down? It's not up to me. I can't screw it up. I've heard so many people say, well, I don't want to witness because I might make them farther away from God than closer. I'm just bad at it. What? You can't drive someone who's lost further lost. They're lost. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. You can't kill them again. You need to rescue them. You need to cast the net. God will deliver the results. Four, lesson four, the promise of lasting results. In verses nine, we see that Peter got out of the boat, off to the shore. The disciples showed up. And what does Peter see there but a charcoal fire? And the last time Peter seen a charcoal fire happened to be in the courtyard of Caiaphas when he was there with Jesus' enemies and he denied his Lord three times. And he goes, "Uh uh-oh, another charcoal fire. And Jesus put it here. I remember Jesus looking me right in the eyes as I stood next to that charcoal fire, and he knew that I had denied him the third time. This might be a tough meeting. He didn't know what to expect. But it said that verse 11, I really believe, is the highlight of this. Simon Peter went up and drew to the drew the net to land, full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. See, Jesus, and the text tells us that the net was full of megas ichthus, is the Greek, mega fish. This is no guppy. So if you're a fisherman here, and you went and caught something, and you're relating the story, I caught a mega fish. How big would that fish be? Would it be like this? I caught a mega fish. No. And we don't really know how big it was, but we know it was huge. And God's just telling us, by the way, if you have 153 huge fish in the net of that day, it should have torn. It says that six men couldn't even pull it up into the boat. This was heavy. And that net was not made out of current materials of nylon or something else. This, this is an old fishing net. It should have broken. But why didn't it? Ah, that's Jesus' point. He's saying, this is the miracle within the miracle. I want to make sure you know something. Not only are the results my business, but I'm going to make sure that the net of the gospel will never break. You get it? The net of my gospel will never break. No one will be lost. Once caught, always caught. Once saved, always saved. Jesus here was teaching eternal security. Remember in John 15, 16, Jesus said this, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed that you would go and bear fruit. And your fruit would remain. God's fruit remains. And he also said in John 10, 27 to 30, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Do you understand that when God gets his hands on you as his child, there is not a creature, a person, a thing in the universe that can remove you? You can't even jump out because you are someone, are you not? And he says, no one can take them out of my hands. Jesus is telling him, by the way, this, this business you're going to be in, it's not up to you to save them. It's not up to you to keep them. 
My net is sovereignly designed to not lose one that I rescue. Not lose one. And I love that because as we say, it should give us great hope and optimism today. Worry not that you're sharing the gospel right. Trust the fisherman that knows how to fish for the souls of men and told us what to do. And he said, I will drive them in the net and I will keep what I drive in the net. Because regardless of our talents, regardless of our skills, regardless of our lack of skills, regardless of our lack of talents, the net of the gospel will never break. You got it? Lastly, Jesus, our risen Lord, still desires intimate fellowship. It's an amazing passage. The first thing we see Jesus say as the men arrive to the shore is not some kind of a rebuke. He says, come, let's have breakfast. What? If it was you or me, I'm sure we would be saying something more like, why did you do this? Why did you not stay where you're supposed to be on the mountain? If I wasn't omniscient, I wouldn't have known where to find you. What, what are you up to? You're not doing what I told you to do, but we don't hear one rebuke out of Jesus. Instead of rebuking them, instead of blasting them, he blesses them. Instead of scolding them, he serves them. Jesus wants intimate fellowship. He knows by the way, all of your failings that you just went through right now, Peter, even the one you led at all the six guys wrong, and you guys did everything wrong, I get it's all wrong, but it was paid for at the cross. I need not scold you anymore. That is behind you. Romans 8, 1 is still true. They don't know it yet. There is therefore now con no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus will never condemn you for your sin in heaven. What he's going to evaluate is your work for him. That's it. You don't get evaluated again. You don't get blamed for your sin. But you will be evaluated for your work. Amazing. So Jesus now wants fellowship. See, in that time period, sharing a meal was one of the most intimate things you could do with someone. And he's saying, guys, you need to be with me. If you want to succeed in this business of being sent ones, you need to hang out with me because I want you here. I'm inviting you here. In fact, can you picture this? If Jesus set up shop in one of your rooms, maybe there's a fireplace there, and he has a cup of coffee or a donut or something for you in the morning, and he's waiting for you, and he says, I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you. I want fellowship with you. This is the risen Lord. This is the sovereign God of the universe. This is not the suffering Jesus who was the man of sorrows. This is now the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's telling each one of us, I want to share time with you. And it's going to be the secret of whether you make it and you last. Whether you're going to have abundant fruit or nothing. Do you spend time with me? Because I'm inviting you. What's keeping you from Jesus? He's inviting you to spend time with him. It's going to be critical that we do if we're going to complete this mission. If we don't spend time with him, church, we're not going to complete the mission. So, I just want to say this. If we don't abide in Jesus... 
this church will produce zero. If you and I don't abide in Jesus, rely on him, remain in him, follow his words and his commands, we will produce zero. Doing things our own way will produce zero. But doing things God's way will produce abundant fruit. Now, who wouldn't want that? Isn't that why we're here? Isn't that what would excite us? If we knew that 500 people from our community put faith in Christ one week, would it not just thrill our hearts? Yes, abundant fruit is what we're about. And this is what Jesus promises. This, these are Jesus' words, by the way. These aren't mine. Jesus promises you, you're going to have nothing to show for it if you don't abide. But he promises that he will have fruit that will remain, an abundant fruit, much fruit, if you do it his way. I wish we would all do that. Because Jesus wants us to draw nigh to him. James tells us that, right? James 4, draw nigh to God and he will draw near to you. Isn't that a deal? You might think, draw nigh to God and he'll run away because you're so crummy. Mm -mm. He says, if you just spend the time to come to me, I'll be right there. I'll be right there with you. And I'll, I'll give you what you need. When, you need. when you're hungry, I'll give you fish and bread. When you're thirsty, I'll give you the drink of life and you will never thirst again. See, come to Jesus. Jesus invites us to come. So I would just say this. I, I think as we close, I, I'm over my time, but I gotta say this. I'm afraid that as life gets a little easier for us these days, I mean, there's toilet paper in the stores again. Um, we're not talking too much about COVID very much anymore. Other things, maybe. Prosperity seems to be okay. Troubles seem to be diminishing. And I don't want us to be like the children of Israel when God says, be careful, be careful. When you get in the land and things are going well, don't forget me. Don't forget God. Don't forget you're completely dependent on me. These fishermen could not catch a thing, even in their human flesh, if the God of the universe did not ordain it let alone catch the souls of men. We, we have to be praying. Nothing that's on autopilot in this church will succeed. Only those ministries that are supported by people who are dependent, relying upon, following God's plan for how they execute it. Only those things will succeed and God has promised to bless. But he's promised to put goose eggs next to the record for anything not done that way. I would just pray that you and I would listen to what our Savior said, that we would abide, that we would rest, that we would do God's work, God's work God's way. We would trust and relax that he's got in charge of who goes in the net, not me, not you, and that he wants this church to produce much fruit, much fruit. I would just say... If you know Jesus, what's preventing you from coming to spend time with him and abide? It's killing your ministry. I, I would just plead with you. Do it Jesus' way. We'll see a remarkable change in you. You'll see a remarkable change in me. And if you don't know Jesus, I would invite you. Jesus said, come.
Whoever's thirsty, come. Because Jesus wants to give you not just a mission, but eternal life. He wants to clothe you in the robe of his righteousness so that when you stand before God, God doesn't see the sin of your life. He sees the perfection of his son. You can stand before God if you put your faith in Christ and he will give you a life that will last forever. Forever. What's holding you back? Can't let go of your sin. It's too fun. It's killing you. Your friends, they're like Peter. They might be leading you the wrong way. Your pride, well, maybe you've been in this church for a long time. And people think you're a Christian. I can't go forward now. That would look bad. Hell is a high price to pay for your pride. You must do it Jesus' way. We must abide. And he promises promises we will bear much fruit heavenly father would you change our hearts so that we would depend on you and forget about self-reliance that we would know that every good thing we have is because you've provided it every response to the gospel that we ever make is because you've ordained it and that we would rest and trust in your completed work but anyone here that hasn't yet settled things with his Lord and Savior. I pray right now that they would come to faith in Christ and they would surrender their lives and abide and rest and have fellowship with Jesus. Would you do that for this church? Because I pray that you would create us a body that will generate much fruit for your kingdom. In Jesus' name.